Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. I am Rob Howe, joined as always by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. And uh, new week, Scott, a new snowstorm, or whatever you want to call it. This one's a blizzard, I guess. Yeah, how appropriate that what, yesterday or two days ago was Groundhog Day, and <laughs> it feels like this is the Groundhog Day of a year of all Groundhog years, and it seems like every day is the same. So, uh, yeah, here we are. Uh, it was beautiful, fluffy flakes. If it was December, uh, or I mean, yeah, December 22nd or 3rd, we would have been like, oh, this is so great for Christmas. Now that we're in uh, the first week of February, it's like, yeah, you, you can go away now. We're, we're ready for, you know, just something else. But, nah, you know, it, it, at least it's not going to impact attendance tonight. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, we are recording this. Uh, a little after 9.30 Central Time on Thursday, February the 4th. Uh, so as Scott and I talked about before we started recording, we're going to talk – we'll, we'll touch on the Ohio State game to a degree here, but we're not going to spend a ton of time on it because many of you will probably listen to the podcast after the game is played. So no sense of, uh, no sense of digging too deep into that. We're going to give you a, more of an overall – general basketball discussion on where Hawkeye basketball is right now uh, amongst a really wacky uh, college basketball scene, Scott. I mean, yeah. I, I know we kind of live in that Iowa bubble where people freak out when Iowa loses, but, you know, I kind of was in and out of it last night, but Villanova lost at St. John's last yeah. night, <laughs> you know, and, you know, St. John's has improved, but that's the number three in team in the country, losing by double figures on the road to an unranked team. Uh, well, we had Texas Tech beating Oklahoma. Beating Oklahoma. Uh, I know that was like a 13 versus nine, but Oklahoma was a top 10 team. Texas got waxed by Baylor. Uh, mm -hmm. Texas was sixth. Uh, Creighton lost last night to uh, – I uh, can't even remember who the heck they played. Um, Tennessee mm -hmm. lost. Purdue lost. All these ranked teams, and we're only at, we're only to Thursday of this week, and all of these teams have lost yeah. already. So, I just I, I I get it. I understand fans to a degree that you live and die with these teams. But I was, I'd like your opinion on this. I was, and maybe this is naive of me, and I'm just not been paying attention. But I was a little taken aback by the reaction of a tough loss at Illinois 
to a really good team that came down to a few plays at the end of the game. Oh, yeah, I agree. And, and the, the fan psyche here is, I, I, for lack of a better word, is kind of fragile. And it's understandable. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody particularly, but it is, it's really the confluence of two major events. One, Fran's best teams have slumped down the stretch. That is truth. I, collapsed is, is a big word, and, and I don't know if I want to go there with all of them. But, but they it's, have, not, it's not every year either. You remember yeah, the Aaron, right. what, what year was Aaron White's senior year? They, they yeah, had a nice 15, run at the end of that thing. Yeah, they won their, six, their last six Big Ten games. Yeah. And, uh, and then they uh, went to the second round. They beat uh, Davidson by the largest 7-10 split in, yep. <laughs> in NCAA history. So they had a really nice run there. Uh, I the four- enjoyed Seattle. Yeah, I did too. Other than the panhandlers, <laughs> they were, it was great. Yes. They, were, they were pretty fierce. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was awesome. I loved all, all of Seattle. I'd love to go back. But I, I think, you know, but the fact that the 16 team was ranked as high as third – and then ended up at as a seven seed in Brooklyn and, mm-hmm. and, and didn't get to the second weekend when Des Moines had a first round site. You had the, the 14 team, which was kind of on this rise. It got to the top 10 and then it nearly fell out of the tournament. Um, you, you've, you've got those seasons where they kind of are um, branded in everybody's memory banks. And that's hard to get past until you get past it. Until you have that season where your expectations meet your performance and so and then the other thing is and this one's the hardest one to remove because it's been brought up so many times and it's really unfair is it's been 42 years since Iowa's won a Big Ten regular season championship and and in a year like this a COVID year with an unbalanced schedule it's more difficult now based on Iowa's schedule than it ever would be before so when you lose one game everybody's going well Michigan's only eight and one and now you're you know uh six and three at the time now seven and three and it's like uh, you know our chances are gone for that this team always fades I'm sick and tired you know they don't play defense all those kinds of things just pop out and it's an exasperation thing and but I I think that you lose perspective when you only focus on the big picture right now the the narrow picture is those are two good teams two rivals going at it at Illinois where the, there's a more of a familiar background. I mean, the game was very competitive, possession by possession. It was fun. They had a chance at the end that didn't happen. That's one of those games where I kind of thought, walking away, you know, other than the fact that the officials didn't call a foul in Illinois the final 10 minutes and four seconds, that I walked away going, yeah, that, that was a really good basketball game. That was fun to watch, you know, no matter what team you're rooting for. But Obviously, there's a segment of the fan base that uh, they'll love you win or, or win big. You make a good point, Scott. I understand. I'm not trying to, to get to, you know, I understand the, uh, you know, the, the mindset of a, of a fan. We're all fans of our own teams, whether, you know, it's the Bears for you and the Jets <laughs> for me. You know, we all have those scars over time and, you know, they're, they're tender, you know, when things start to go bad. And, I think that happens. I think I think it's a good point that you make, and I and I also would say, the Illinois game on top, because of games being postponed, you had the Indiana game, which left a bad taste in their mouth, and then Illinois on top of that. Had they won against Indiana, maybe that Illinois loss wouldn't have mm-hmm. cut as deep. Yeah. But and I understand that. Um, 
But a couple things that I would mention is don't expect this to be a good defensive team. Mm-hmm. The other team's going to make three-pointers. They're going to get open three-point looks. It's just the way it is. So don't wring your hands of that every game. Iowa, it's kind of like Iowa football, Scott, where um, you're not going to have an offense that scores 45 points a game, but you have a really good defense that limits opponents, and then you have good special teams. It's that complementary uh, football. We have that in basketball as well. Iowa is yes. very strong offensively. It's not strong defensively. Yeah. But if it can be good enough defensively, its offense is good enough to carry. It just can't be putrid on defense, and it's at times it is, and we see it, and um, it shouldn't be that big of a surprise. The thing that I think for me, I, I'd be interested in your opinion on this, Indiana game, I thought, and they admitted they didn't play with enough effort. Indiana played harder. Yeah. I thought – um, they played hard against Illinois. I thought effort was again a problem at, against Michigan State on Tuesday at times. That's the thing to me right now that I don't want to say I'm concerned about, but the thing I'm focused on and looking at right now when they come out, to, they, should not, they should not lack motivation tonight against a team that's ranked seventh in the country. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Because they played a poor game against Indiana and all – facets except Luca Garza but except and but then he had turnovers but he was trying to do too much uh they played poorly you could tell that they their mindset wasn't in tune with their opponent and even though Iowa is a really good team a top 10 team they are not good enough to just walk on the floor against any big 10 team no matter how mediocre they are and and win just by throwing themselves out there and so they played as poor of a second half as I can remember and then, yeah, as you mentioned, the Michigan State game, it just – they got off flat and slow, and Michigan State burned them. I mean, this was the number 13 three-point shooting team in the league, and they hit their first six three-pointers and took, you know, an 11-point lead. And there was a lot of – I call it PTSD build up against Michigan State. I mean, they'd won 19-22. It should have been the other way around, frankly. It should have been Iowa out there gunning. It should have been Iowa out there diving for loose balls and, and getting rebounds and second-chance opportunities. And it was the other way around. And to me, I think that was really an, an embarrassment. Now, they were able to come back because this is not a good Michigan State team at all. But what was even more concerning to me than the start was the finish, that they were up 79-70 with three and a half minutes to go. And then all of a sudden, Michigan State has a chance to take the lead within the last minute. That You can't allow that to happen. I don't care if you're a captain, four-year guy, Fran, whoever. So to me, I think if they're going to have inconsistent effort and attitude and uh, performances like this, then it is a concern. Then this is a team that last year they were 11-9 and nine in the Big Ten. They could be heading in that direction, too. And, uh, you know, I don't want to talk too much about tonight's game because I don't want to date myself <laughs> if something happens here. But Ohio State's good, man. You know, they've won three straight – their last three road games have come against top 15 teams, and they've won them all. Um, this is a team that's going to come here expecting to win, and they've had success on the road. And, you know, if Iowa plays anywhere near what it has against, you know, Indiana or Michigan State, two home games – it could uh, it could lose this one, and then we're probably looking at some real downsides from the fan base. Yes, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to think about that. 
do not reaction to a loss tonight. Um, yeah. I'm gonna think I'm going to think positively as I watch the snow fall out of the sky. Um, <laughs> I wanted to frame this this way, Scott. Um, is it a, was it a good or a bad thing or a mixture? You know, it was it good and bad that Iowa needed its bench to rescue it the other night. Yeah, that's a great question and make me think about it. I, I'm going to go with a mixture. And, and I think it's a good thing that the bench was able to, to do what it did, that Jack Dungey was able to come in and, and provide that contribution because they really needed him. You know, because Keegan Murray uh, struggled early, but then he was better later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really like um, what we're seeing out of uh, Tony Perkins. I think he's coming in and impacting the game in a positive way, largely, and they're getting him more and more minutes. But I think that there are a couple of players, veteran players, on the you know in the backcourt that aren't pulling their weight consistently. You know, Joe Wieskamp to me should be at worst a second team All Big Ten guy. Sometimes he plays like it. Sometimes he plays like he's he and Lucas should be first team, and other times he just disappears. And Jordan Bohannon's the same way. I mean, there's some games where you're like, you know, like against Northwestern, where it was what 14 assists, 19 points, nine rebounds, and you're like, man, this is one of the greatest stat lines in Iowa history. And then like Indiana, 0 for nine. You know, the other night he was he had a couple shots, and that was about it. You know, and 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 he's kind of a liability in certain areas. So. I think they've got some issues that they've got to make sure that those guys, you know, either stay confident, focused, or just do their job in order to, to be at a high level. What do you think? Uh, that's a really great question. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I think it's a mix. I think it's a really good sign that, uh, that you can go to a Tony Perkins who doesn't have a lot of minutes and he can come in and produce for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's good to see. And I think – the minutes be, you know, whether it was the plan or not, and I don't think it was, you know, the exact plan, this minutes were spread out the other night when you're playing three, three games, you know, three games in six days, that's good. They should still be fresh tonight. And then hopefully fresh on Sunday for Indiana. Um, I just think there's a market difference when I watched Joe Toussaint and Tony Perkins at the top of that zone being able to extend it and move laterally to when I watch the starters in that zone. And that to me was really a huge difference. And now on top of that, you've got, I would say Tucson is an inconsistent offensive player from a shooting perspective. Mm -hmm. He, He was hitting it the other night. And when he's doing that, he needs to be on the court. Absolutely. And, And Perkins is also aggressive going to the basket. Um, and I think I would like to see that more from Wieskamp and Bohannon. Mm-hmm. Guys are getting in their space now. Tr- Bohannon wore Trent Frazier in his jersey in that Illinois game. I mean, Trent Frazier, I was watching. He was following him 25, 30 feet from the basket, just not giving him any space. Jordan has got to dribble drive. Yeah, It's not a strength of his. He's probably not overly comfortable doing it, but he can do it. And we saw it the other night. He had a nice drive and a floater. He's got to do more of that. I just, to me, Scott, you know how well these coaches scout in this league. And you have to counter what they're throwing at you. 
it's time for Jordan and Joe to counter what's being done to them. And, and now is the time. Yeah, I think so. And I, I really think that, uh, you know, with, with the way Joe Toussaint is playing, I agree with you on minutes. You know, starting is – I've always looked at starting, especially yeah. with Iowa, is symbolic and yeah. honorific. And, I'm with you. You know, it, it was kind of like the same argument a lot of times with Gable Lashaney and, and Adam Woodbury. Yeah. You know, Woodbury's a starter. Now, he's, he's a, he was a much better defensive player, and Olashaney was more athletic. And, and so you kind of have those views. But I, at the same time, when he's he brings a different element. Both of them, as you said, bring a different element because they can drive. Uh, you know, uh, Toussaint hit a couple of shots that were, you know, kind of almost stepped back in the zone. You know, he was able to drive. They backed off of him. Then he popped and shot. Nobody else does that on this team. And if he can do that and hit that shot consistently, it changes everything on the floor for them. It allows spacing to be better. It'll, it'll bring people up so then he can hit Luca in a one-on-one situation because Lord knows I haven't seen very many of those lately. Um, you know, sure Luca just, would welcome that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, the other thing is it's just when they're not hitting shots, sometimes – Connor can be a liability because the other team plays in, in the half court. They'll play almost four on five. You know, they'll sag somebody. They'll do whatever it takes to, to cover up Garza. And they'll, they'll defend pretty tight on the other guys. But if he's out near the three-point line, you know, if, if McCaffrey is, because that's just not his forte, um, they'll sag off him and say, okay, go ahead, shoot it. And he doesn't make it very often. So that's something that they – he's he's aware of it. He's a self-aware basketball player, and I think that's a strength of his. But but if you're not – if you Frederick can't play, which it looks like it's going to be a struggle for him probably the rest of the year because it looks like a foot issue again. If we shouldn't minimize play, that. I mean, that's a good point, Sam. We shouldn't minimize that. Frederick is a really good player. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that he's as – He's not as important as Luca, obviously. But if you look at the secondary guys, he's yeah. as important as anybody else on this roster. Right, right. I mean, and when if he's hitting shots, you know, then he spaces the floor. Right. Then, then that leaves open room for open for Bohannon, which leaves room open for Wieskamp to do whatever he does. And if all four of those guys are on the floor doing well, then uh, then at the same time. Then, then Connor McCaffrey's in his element because he can right. just find the open guy and play quarterback basically. <laughs> when they're when he's not on the floor and then other guys aren't hitting shots, then it kind of adds to the scoring liability that he is, which isn't and really. I'm not trying to make it a negative. I'm just saying that you know. He, no, and I think your point is do what you do. Mm-hmm. Don't do what you're not good at. And I thought I thought the other night, as you to your point, I thought Connor was out of he was out of his game. He he wasn't playing his game. He felt like I think that if CJ's not playing, I have to pick up the scoring. You don't have to do that. Other guys can do that. Nunji can right. do that. Toussaint, yeah. Perkins, mm-hmm. uh, Keegan Murray, Patrick McCaffrey. There are other guys that are better scorers than you. Give it up, yeah. move the ball. Don't do what you can't do. Right. And the hard part for him is, you know, not only as a player and a confident player, but also as a teammate is when he sees he has the open shot from the three where there's nobody in his face, right. you know, anybody else take that shot and it's make tempting. it. 
Yes. <laughs> it's very tempting. It's, and it's like, this is what you need to do. This is how you hit. This is what you win and win games. Right. And he did that at Illinois a couple right. of times. He didn't do that against Michigan State. So that's where, you know, I, I don't know if it, if it, if you can't have Frederick and if the other guys aren't shooting, then it's almost, it almost completely removes, you know, his best attributes on the floor. And, and that's where I think they become a, a real liability. And then it's like, okay, you've got Garza and then you got, you're crossing your fingers that somebody else gets hot. It's interesting too, this dynamic, the dynamic, the Toussaint Patrick McCaffrey dynamic. There is no doubt in my mind that there's a almost, and a, a, you know a connection there that um, is really beneficial to Iowa. You can tell Patrick plays better when Joe's on the floor, and Joe plays better when Pat. They have that connection. They came in together, room together. They're friends. Um, it's just that's an interesting dynamic to me, and it seemed like um, they were along with Nunji and Perkins. That those four with Garza. I mean, that was the right formula the other night. Those guys were, as Fran likes to say, connected. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and that's helpful because, you know, Patrick, I, I, I know there's been some people critis- critical of him, and sometimes you watch him compete and you're like, okay, maybe it's time to pull him back out. But he's got a lot of ability. You can see it. And it's just a matter of playing and keep playing, and, and it's going to come out. And then in the future, you think he's going to be a really good player. It's just – you know, but when he's on there, as you said, with Toussaint, there is a, a, a connectivity. There's just a they they fit. They fit mm-hmm. well, and I think that's a good thing for them and and for the team. And it's just you know they went really deep the other day. I mean, Aaron Euless got some minutes too, and I'd like and to I, see more of him. To yeah, be honest with you, I wouldn't mind seeing more of him. But I know you can't play you know twelve guys at once or eleven guys at once. Right, right. <laughs> so you know Perkins has kind of taken into that that role there, but. I just, uh, you know, I mean, in some ways we start to look for answers under rocks. I think that's a lot of times what happens in football too. And eh, they're not doing well. Okay. What about this guy? Or what about this? Especially when they're, they sucked at wide receiver for those years. Well, what about mm-hmm. this guy? He's a true freshman and you know, that sort of thing. So I, I just, I think right now they're good. They're still a very good team, but they've got to make some growth and some strides and this league's not very easy. So I, I wonder what's, this, this game tonight will tell me a ton about it. If they can, you know, again, I don't want to date myself here, but if they, if they can win this game, then they're, they're on a good path because this is a really good team. If they lose and play the way they did against Indiana or for much of it against Michigan State, then I think the concerns just kind of start to come amplified, and that could be a, a real problem because I think there are some players on the team that um, they struggle with, the noise, the criticism. And even though they should be more immune to it, they've dealt with it long enough, they struggle with it. And uh, they need to just kind of let it go um, and not worry about it so much because, hey, fans are going to react to the the results. And, you know, it's bad. And I don't like it a lot of times because Lord knows we deal with it every year in every sport. But at the same time, you just kind of got to come at it from that angle of, yeah, you know, we lose, we don't play well. We got to expect it in some respects. Interesting too, Scott, will be what I think Fran, I don't know, want to say he's put in a more difficult position here, but it's, you know, now he's got to, now he saw what his bench can do the other night. 
So how long, if, you know, if somebody, one, two, three of the starters isn't performing well, when do you go to that bench? How long do you stay with that bench? And I, it's, that's, that's kind of, you know, the uh, scenario that most coaches deal with. Who do I play? When do I play? So going back to the good, bad question, I, I think it's good now that he has, he has confidence in those bench guys and they have confidence built in performing in games but what combinations work on a given night? Who's playing well together? Um, that's going to be interesting to see moving forward, to see the combinations. If he sticks with somebody who's struggling, if he, you know, goes the other way with, you know, a guy that's maybe, um, you know, younger, but he's more willing to put up with, you know, inconsistencies because that guy is younger and maybe his ceiling is higher. It's going to – I'm interested to see how this plays out because I think the other night kind of opened some doors. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's – right now they're, they're in a real – you know, that, that's, that's a challenge. That's why he gets paid all the big bucks, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and has the, the really high buyout. <laughs> <laughs> but when you, when you look at – you know, to me, each of the players have a different varying abilities. And if, if there's not a lot of connectivity, then Connor's abilities are mitigated, you know, we could say. And I think that's probably one area. Um, Bohannon is a really difficult one for me because you, you've seen him get hot, even if he's been bad throughout the course of a game. Then all of a sudden, boom three straight possessions he's hitting threes or you saw that you know. the other night Scott he was yeah. not doing anything and then he hits that three-pointer at the end of the game and then he's got you know uh against Illinois I'm talking about yeah he hits yeah that three late in the game and then he's gets another shot at it and you're th in your head you're thinking oh this could go in yeah right and he's and we've you know and it's been over and over and over again right. you know I mean remember the you know the, the couple of years ago when he did it against Northwestern and Indiana a couple of mm -hmm. times and and stuff so you expect him almost to, to do that so you don't want to completely you know pull him off but if he's not effective shooting the ball then what I mean he's a good passer but you know do you completely go with Joe Toussaint and that's really the one that I think is the biggest tug of war for me because, you know, somebody like Keegan Murray and, and, and Jack Dungey, they're going to get their minutes. They just are through the course of, of yeah. that. But, but the, the Toussaint, Bohannon element, and probably Connor McCaffrey element is who's most effective at, you know, the two most effective should play the more minutes out of those three. And, and uh, you know, each of them has a different ability that works. It's just, if they're not working, then it, then, you know, like if, if Joe's not hitting any shots, then, uh, you know, he could still defend, but he, sometimes he pushes too hard. And then, then he can, we can get in the lab like Dr. Frankenstein and use like mm -hmm. Connor's court awareness and size yeah. with Bohannon's outside shot and Toussaint's quickness. And, <laughs> <laughs> and speed. If you could get three of those guys into like the, the, the uh into the lab and and meld them together you'd have uh you'd probably have a lottery pick yeah you'd already be playing in the nba if <laughs> you want it done or or a duke or something like that but no i mean like like tonight is you know ej little you know he's averaging you know 21 points a game or last three he's an athletic four who's going to defend him i mean is it going to be keegan is probably going to be your best bet but you know they're going to try to zone him because you know your your big fear is 
getting Luca Garza two fouls in the first half. You know, they they if that happens within nine or ten minutes of the first half, Iowa could be trailing by ten at halftime, and then you're playing catch up, and then you're not into your game, and and the, the Ohio State's good enough to keep pace in the game. So, I I just. Uh, I think this is a this is a real question mark. But you know, one thing I looked at, we did a this week with the athletic, we did a series of uh on basketball, kind of at a midseason look, and and one of the questions was point blank, can Iowa get to the final four? And I'm like, guys, I gotta live here. Um that's the first thing I I wrote was I gotta live here still. But I said no. And the reason why is at that time, and this was Sunday or Monday or whatever when I wrote it. I was 96th in an adjusted uh, defense efficiency. And I looked at the last 10 final fours and only three were below 40 and only one was below like 45. So Iowa's defense is completely out off the charts when it comes to that. It's kind of got the profile of a dominant sweet 16 team that runs into trouble. And then can they find their way out of it? Do they have enough defense and enough efficient offense to beat a good team who's good at both areas. I, I think the answer, I hate to say it, but objectively it's probably no, the way they're playing now. But that said, if they play an excellent game, they can beat anybody in the country. So it's just, can they win against probably, I mean, right now they're probably about a three seed, two seed, three seed, something like that. That should enable them to get to the Sweet 16 if they continue on this path. But we've seen it before, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I think that's where the angst comes. is to finish this regular season strong. Yeah. Where you get yourself into a higher seed mm-hmm. and then you, you, you know, increase your chances of getting to the 16. You're not in that seven ten game. Oh it's yeah. Just, I sure. mean, we can't play that. It's just so hard. You're up against it. We saw it in Seattle and we saw it in Brooklyn. Right. You know, it's just that's just such a hard hurdle to clear to be able to do that. So, uh, so much is relying on how they finish this regular season and push themselves. If they can get into the three or four line, they just mm-hmm. give themselves such a much better chance to to move on, better odds. Absolutely. They have to stay at this level. And and that to me is you know, they're 7 and 3 through 10. I think that's they probably need to go at worst seven and three through the next 10 and then whatever happens in the big 10 tournament takes care of itself. That would put um, them at what they'd be what? 22 and seven ish. Yeah. The, right? so they had the thir- one non-conference loss to Gonzaga. They're 13 and four right now and seven and three in the big 10. So that would put them at, at 20 and seven, you know, because there just weren't as many games right. in non-conference yeah. and it put them at 14 and six in the big 10. That would keep them in the probably ranked country-wise 12th, 13th. And uh, it, let's, say they, let's say they get to Saturday. They haven't done that in 15 years. But let's say they get to at least the Saturday. Mm-hmm. That would probably keep them to a three to four seed. And, and that's doable because now we've seen Iowa 15 years ago lose a 3-14 game. That's, that's tough going. Um, side for that bad boy. Yeah, uh, that was just I. Wa- <laughs> I still have vivid images of watching that thing just dissolve, and the panic on the bench, and the coaching. Yeah, uh, 
that, was, that's a bad memory for everybody. Yeah, I was in a bar in St. Joseph, Missouri, <laughs> and uh, there were high V just opened a, a store in, in St. Joe at the time, and all the employees were from Iowa, so they were all Iowa fans, and they knew that I'm from Iowa, so we met at this bar in the middle of the afternoon to watch it, and then there were like a handful of Mizzou fans rooting for Northwestern <laughs> State, so uh, it, was a, it was an interesting uh, experience to see that happen like that. But no, you know, if, if you're a three, you know, yes, everybody's susceptible to getting beat. I mean, Virginia lost yeah. uh, as one sixteen. You can lose those games. We've seen two fifteens all the time. Uh, but it we're talking more. We're talking more probabilities. Yeah. And and likelihood, and that's yeah. it's important to at least do the best to put yourself in the best position, and then if an upset happens, it happens. Yeah, exactly. So if you're a three, you beat a fourteen, then you play a six which is probably like ranked number 23 in the country, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, you feel pretty good. If you're Iowa and you're ranked 12th and they're ranked 23rd, you've got a chance. And you could win that game. The problem becomes the next round and the next round, the next round, the next round, the next four games. And that's where I don't know that Iowa could handle a four-game straight onslaught and beat, uh, you know, ultimately a Baylor slash Gonzaga, but also – you know, take your pick, even in the Big Ten, you know, uh, Michigan, um, Illinois, you know, teams like that, once you get to that Sweet 16 range. Now, I think they're capable of winning a couple. I think they're capable of getting there, but I don't know about winning at all. That said, second weekend, if they don't get to the second weekend, I, I think this will be an incredibly disappointing year. I think this will go down as probably the most disappointing year in, in Iowa basketball history. Yeah, I don't think that's hyperbolic either, and I'm with you, and I've said that throughout the year. It's got it's – it's Sweet 16 or bust. I mean, it's yeah. been, whatever, 20 – was it 22, 21 years? 20, 22 years now, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah so 1999. That's a, that's a long time. That's, um, you know, that, that's longer, than, uh, that's longer than, than some of these guys have been on the earth that are on this team. My son's a senior. He graduated with Connor McCaffrey at West High. He's a senior in college, and he was born two months after their last Sweet 16 appearance. Yeah, that kind of puts it in perspective. Yeah. Hopping back to your – you may not have this. I've read this before. I don't have it retained or, or written down anywhere. But I think to your point, for people that don't really um, – maybe older school people that don't really look at analytics, mm -hmm. your point about defensive efficiency, for Iowa – to get to a final four with the type of defensive, I don't know if you want to call it efficiency or inefficiency, but right. would really buck a trend. I mean, a yeah. big time trend. Do you have those numbers or? or as far as what, what they're ranked and they're yeah. 96, they're 96. You know, yeah. what yeah. has made the final four with a defensive efficiency ranking that okay. low for however? All right, yeah, and I have this written out because I did it for cool. my own good. And uh, out over the last 10 Final Fours, this is from 2010 through 2019, so a 10-year block, so the numbers are valid. 13 of those 40 teams were in the top five in, in defensive deficiency. Wow. Se 17 were in the top 10. So almost, what would that be, 68%? Uh, mm -hmm. or, or, well, maybe that's my numbers are off. Uh, but, you know, below 30 you know, that would be um, right now we're below 30 is uh, there were eight of those. So you add those up and that's 25 out of the 40 teams had below 30 
in, in the numbers. And, and I then, was at 96. Just, I was at 96. They're only to, to highlight that for listeners. There were only three teams above 40 that made it. Of 40. Uh, above three, 40. Three of 40 in the last 10 years. Yeah. And that was uh, KU in 2018. Well, we know what kind of athletes Kansas has. Right. Um, and they didn't even make the championship. Um, then there was uh, da, 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 Butler in 2011, but they were they were an eight seed. Yes. And then the outlier of the bunch was Virginia Commonwealth with Shaka Smart, but they were an 11 seed. They were 78. You know, again, that that's miracle type 11 seed getting to the NCAA Final Four. Mm-hmm. That's a miracle. So, um, you know, like last year or the last championship game when you had Virginia was five and Texas Tech was one that and that was the last championship game the year before Villanova was 11 Michigan three the year before that you know UNC was 11 Gonzaga one um Villanova the year Villanova crushed Iowa and they played North Carolina with Marcus Page five and 21 Nova was five you know so Wisconsin was one of the lower ones when they went to the championship and lost to Duke. And we know how good defensively they were. They mm-hmm. were third, they were 35th, but they were number one offensively. And they're, they're the best offensive efficiency team in the last 10 years that year. So all these numbers are adding up to where you've got to be good on that end of the floor to get there because you're going to have all these games. We know them. We've seen them over and over again. You're going to reach a point when there's five, four minutes to go, and it's a one to two possession game, one way or the other, and you're going to have to get a stop. Can you get a stop? Or multiple stops a lot yeah, of times. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're going to have to score, get, you know, foul, you know, are you going to be able to prevent the, the good passing, the efficiency on that side of the ball? I don't have faith Iowa can for four straight games to, to hold, to cut down the nets and, and see one shining moment with Fran McCaffrey <laughs> on top of the ladder, you know? But I think, and to your point, Scott, you know, it's not like if people are listening and saying, you know, these guys are just being negative. It's not opinion. No. These are numbers. These are Iowa is if Iowa were to do to get to that final four, it's bucking huge trends. I mean, mm-hmm. really strong numbers. It's not – this isn't like out of left field and, you know, just being critical here. These are statistics. You know, it's the, – the way I would put it that maybe some people might get a little bit better is let's say you are a spread offense in football and you are churning up 500 yards a game, 40 points a game, but your defense has given up seven yards a carry you got to get a stop sometime when you're getting a close game and you're playing Bama in the final four. You can't stop the run. You're dead. And that's kind of the way this is, you know, teams are going to score. There's, you know, and then I think sometimes fans get a little bit, you know, it, it drives me crazy because you don't respect the other team. I mean, Frazier, DeSumo, you know, Coburn, they're unbelievable athletes and that, that they're a great team. And I think they're a team that's got the potential to get there too. Um, so you just, you sometimes you just tip your hat and say, okay, what did we learn from this? Uh, you know, if they, if Iowa and Illinois played 10 times, which I would sign me up, that would be a five, five split is my opinion on that. But I, I, right now this is, 
these are numbers that are legitimate and they're ones that you can't get away from. And I think we could both agree. I mean, you work for Hawkeye Nation and that if Iowa was to go to the final four, it's good for business, not great. bad for business. It's great. We don't want, we would prefer to have Iowa be really good and win championships. You know, first of all, when we're old and 15, 20 years, we can write those reunion stories, <laughs> you know, and, final four reunion, you know? And I mean, it would be a good story if Iowa was able to buck those numbers and buck those trends. That is, you know, when, when you have an outlier like that, that's a cool story. Absolutely. And I don't think, you know, because we know the NCAA tournament, there's a luck element too. I mean, mm -hmm. you could be a, a three, four seed and that six loses on the other side mm -hmm. in that second round, you have a much easier game. I mean, you can get to the sweet 16 and in your bracket, there may have been upsets. So, you know, you're, you know, you're facing 11 or 12 seed, not that those teams are bad, but it's different than facing, you know, you know, a, a, a seed oh, yeah. right next to you. So, um, and, and those things you can't account for. We're, we're talking more just, normal circumstances, the analytics and the numbers. Right. I mean, remember the year when Iowa went to the first four and they played Tennessee for, mm -hmm. and it was an 11 seed game. That's a and, long drive to Dayton, by the way. Yeah, it is. I know. I, I drove, <laughs> I drove back with Jess Settles. It was me and Jess Settles. So he, he gives me a hard time because I'm like, Hey, have you ever been to the beef house? He's like, no. And, and that's not really my thing, but I'm like, all right, let's go. And now, you know, probably every third time I talk to him, hey, you've been to the beef house lately. You know? <laughs> uh, but, but, uh, Who doesn't love a good steak? Yeah, exactly. But you look at what transpired there. The Tennessee went on and beat number six seed UMass, which was way overseeded. Yep. I think we can agree to that. But the number three was Duke, and it was in like Greensboro, North Carolina. Yep. They played 14 Mercer, and Mercer beats Duke. And so then Tennessee, you know, at 11 plays Mercer, 14, and Tennessee wins. That would have been Iowa. Right. And, and then, uh, then I believe they would have played Michigan in the Sweet 16. And at that year, I, they split, if I recall. Yeah, they split. Yeah, I, I, think was, you're I, was right. at, I was at both places. Iowa was the 10th team in the country and lost to like Stoskis and stuff like that. And then, they, and then Devin Marble hit like six straight three pointers against them at home. And I'm thinking, Sweet 16, Iowa, Michigan, and Indianapolis. Hey, man, this this is gonna it's gonna be on. It's gonna be a great game. But it never happened. Because, but it could have, and that's what could happen here. But you can't know, count but, on that, right? You you, you really got to roll the dice with what's the, you know, what the the best can figure on the best seeds winning, right. and then and then look at the matchups once they are unveiled. Yes. And uh, as we've said, Scott, it's, it's Iowa needing to finish strong here in the regular season. Uh, and the last two games this week are huge. I mean, you know, it doesn't, it's not life or death and it's not either way it goes, isn't going to determine where Iowa finishes this season, but you still got a road game at Ohio state. Mm -hmm. You still have a road game at Michigan state. You got to beat those two teams at home if you want to get to where you want to get to. And then we've already seen, what is Iowa going to do to counter Indiana? Indiana had a good game plan and carried it out here in Iowa City. What can Iowa do to counter that in Indiana? Um, I watched – I don't know if you watched some of the Indiana-Illinois game the other night. Indiana's a good team. It's not yeah. – that's not a terrible – that wasn't a terrible loss for Iowa. It was just the fact that 
for me at least, as we talked about earlier, Indiana played harder than Iowa. And to me, that's inexcusable. And you can't have that tonight or Sunday or moving forward. You have to meet the effort level of whoever you're playing in this league or you're going to lose. Um, Ohio State's an interesting team. I've watched them a couple times this year. They won at Illinois. If Iowa fans are wondering how good this team is, this Ohio State team won at Illinois. Yeah, they won at Illinois. Like I said, they've beaten the last three teams on the road. Um, there were top 15 teams. So they've, they've done some really good work here. And I think they're a team that, um, you know, they've only met once as top 10 teams, Iowa and, and Ohio State. Hmm. And, uh, and that was in 1961. They played at Iowa City, and Ohio State was one, and Iowa was ranked ninth, and Ohio State won 62-61. So, was Bobby Knight on that team? He probably was. Yeah, I'm sure him and ha- Havlid- <laughs> him and Havlicek, Havlicek yeah, against yeah, gets Don Nelson. So. <laughs> Nelly. Uh, yeah, that would have been a great game. I mean, I wonder if uh, – I don't think Nelly and Bobby Knight would hang out now. I, no. don't, I don't think they have a lot in common. I think no. – I, I think Nelly would probably uh, more likely hang out with Snoop. With who? Snoop Dogg, right? So, now. Oh yeah. Oh for sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> medicinal purposes, right? Yeah. I think I think Knight should have hung out with him a little bit more often. When yeah. Chill <laughs> out, Indiana, man. Indiana years. But uh, you know, and the other thing is, I mean, you can't foul them because they're number one and and free throws made and number two and uh, shot and free throw attempts. So this is a team you foul them. They're going to make them. They're really, really good at that level. So, um, and then they're off. Both teams are in the top five and adjusted efficiency on offense. So I, I think this is, this is a really tough matchup. So if Iowa wins by a point in the last second of the game, it's you take take it. it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, you take it and you move on. Just like the other night, I didn't get overly wrapped up. I mean, they beat a Michigan. They beat Michigan State, and I know it's not a typical Michigan State team, but that's a good Big Ten win. And um, with Ohio State, Ohio State, Holtman's an underrated coach, man. Yes, he yes. gets. He's one of those guys. I think they like Painter. Kind of gets the most out of what he has and does a good job of of. Uh, building teams and getting guys in positions and, and defining roles. And, um, you know, they've got a good point guard in CJ Walker, veteran point guard. So that's not that they would be rattled in an arena that doesn't have any fans. But <laughs> <laughs> when you're on the road, it's nice to have that steady force at point guard. And he is that mm-hmm. you mentioned uh, EJ Liddell, Dwayne Washington is uh, also a, can be a handful at times, uh, but they don't really have, I mean, Obviously, Liddell's their main guy, but they have guys that can hurt you all over the place. And I think one guy to keep an eye on tonight is just Justin Aarons. We talked about the three-point mm-hmm. defense. He's the type of guy you cannot let get away from you. And Iowa has a history um, for over the last decade of letting a team, letting a player on the other team get away from you, you know, <laughs> when it comes to shooting the three ball, especially. I mean, you know, just watching the last week, you know, we've seen it with Frazier. We saw it the other night with uh, Enter and Henry. I mean, it's yep. just, it happens all the time. And, and it's, it's more survivable for a team like Iowa than most teams because Iowa does, you know, is so efficient on offense. And sometimes, you know, those, they don't, 
they don't worry that much, which is probably what bothers everybody. But, but I do kind of hate the, it's almost a lazy argument or a lazy discussion when Iowa, you know, they give up a couple of easy shots and all of a sudden, oh, this defense, this defense. It's like, oh, come on. You know, would, would I rather watch 84-78 or 56-50? You know, Lord what, knows. One thing, I, one thing I think Iowa needs to be more conscious of, and maybe it's just – it's just going to be, you know, the byproduct of playing that zone. Mm. Too many offensive re- – if you're not a good defensive team, you can't give the – the yeah. other night was bad. Mm-hmm. I, and Michigan State's a good rebounding team, but you're, you're going to get that all throughout this league. You can't give up that many offensive rebounds, and you have to make your foul shots. Right. Those were two things the other night that Iowa – you look at and you say, okay, so but maybe – hopefully this is isolated if you're Iowa – because that's those trends can't continue in this league. Yeah, I mean, you know, they shot 20 more free throws than Michigan State, but they they were 23 of 35. I mean, that's that, that's garbage, and that, they're yeah. not very. They haven't been very good all year at that, and uh, and if they don't get better, then they're really. And what? Sick. How many of those were Bohannon at the end of the game? He helped that average. Yeah, he was four for four. Yeah, and that yeah. was in like the last. That was right in the last minute or so. Right. And, you know, and Garza missed six, yeah. you know, and he had 27 points. And, you know, I really, I hate feeling ever compelled to, to <laughs> art, uh, criticize know. Garza, but he needs to make a few more free throws. And, and they yeah. got to be better. They can, they have to identify in the zone. It's harder to rebound out of a zone, but they have to be better at not letting, giving up offensive rebounds. Yeah. Right. I mean, they got out rebounded by seven in that category alone. I mean, they had 20 offensive rebounds. You know, and their uh, what their second chance opportunities. They had twenty eight points out of that. Yeah. You know, Michigan State. This is not a regular Michigan State team. If it was, they would have lost that game. Mm-hmm. No question in my mind. Yes. So we'll see how this week finishes out for Iowa. A couple big games here, and uh, get them both. You're in good shape. Get a split. We still have questions. Uh, lose them both, and. Uh, the blizzard will seem like a blip on the radar because everybody's gonna, there's going to yeah. be a blizzard of negativity coming. If that's the case, let's hope that is not the case. Yeah, I could, could not agree more because you know Rutgers, Rutgers is going to come in and play hard. You they're know, playing they, better. They kind yeah. of they kind of hit a valley there in the middle of the season, but they're coming back up. Yeah, and they play them next week. It's a you know it's Wednesday, so it's I mean it's within a six days of now and they're playing at home. They played a really close game the last time they, they beat Michigan state by 30 when Michigan uh-huh. state came off that came off that pause. And, and then they got to turn around and go on the road at, at Michigan state and at Wisconsin. And, uh, and then they get a home one against Penn state who knows when they'll try to shoehorn Nebraska in there somewhere, but, and then back to back Ohio state, Michigan, you know, that's not an easy schedule. I mean, those are there are losses in there. It's yep. not they're not going to run the table. They're not going to go ten and uh, oh, you know, the rest of the yep. way. So, you know, you got to be ready for that. And and that's I think the bigger picture is what a lot of people seem to forget. Or maybe it's just the the loud minority on Twitter that gets to everybody. But it's like guys, just relax a little bit, you know. And now if they play again like the, they did against Indiana, tee off. I agree. But yeah. And it's happening around the league. Wisconsin yeah. lost to Penn State on Saturday. So right. um, just keep everything in perspective and uh, we'll see how this goes. I'm not, I'm not, 
I'm not feeling like this team can't still achieve. I, I still oh, believe yeah. that it can. Um, and like we talked about a little bit with the Rutgers, there are peaks and valleys in the season. There's times where you're playing like Iowa played at Northwestern, and then there's times where you're, you know, you're struggling a little bit and having to pull out a game against Michigan State that probably you should have, as you said, had a nine-point lead in that game and probably should have built on that instead of letting them back in the game. Hopefully you um, grow from those those experiences and get yourself back up to playing at a high level again. And I think this team has the potential to do that. I do too. Everybody goes through this. It's not unique to Iowa. And I know we've spent, you know, quite a bit of time here kind of whether it's critiquing them strongly or criticizing them, that's, and that's just part of it, but they have the potential to get better too. And everybody goes through these moments. They just do. So you know, it's, it's about everybody taking a deep breath, the players, the coaches, the fans, media, everybody. And just, but that said, that doesn't mean we can't identify areas that they need to make strides or otherwise you're just kind of closing your eyes to the obvious parts of the situation. Agreed. And um, I'm trying to look for a segue here. I was getting good contributions from its young players like Keegan Murray and Tony Perkins. (laughs) And Iowa football just <laughs> two more players to its 2020. How's that for a segue? There you go. <laughs> All right, I like it. <laughs> so Scott and I are going to talk a little bit about recruiting and uh, some other items that came out of Kirk Ferentz's press conference on Wednesday, February 3rd. Um, and we'll talk more basketball next week. Um, so uh, they uh, added uh, Devin Hilson. Um, a pretty versatile athlete from uh, Des Moines North, Scott. And we talked about Ms. Ms. Linsky. Mm-hmm. We had known that last week and talked about that. Both of those gentlemen signed with Iowa yesterday, bringing the class to 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, last I checked, and I haven't checked this morning, and this is probably fluid because, you know, other schools are signing players and it affects the rankings. But Iowa was top 25, at least when I looked yesterday, for both rivals in 247 sports. Um, I was in the top 25 in recruiting. Obviously, that de- doesn't determine the future of these guys and how they're going to pan out, but that's a good sign. You're in the top 25 as Iowa. That doesn't happen a lot, so that's a good sign. What did it end up? Was it six four-stars? Uh, yeah, depending on where you, where you yeah. shop. Because I want to say, I know, I think it was Bruce and Johnson, Colby, David Koff, uh, Stevens, and um, – Sullivan? Yeah, Sullivan, yeah. And I know Dej- Cooper DeJean was at one point, and then I already was by one outlet. So, And he was, know. I think, was he the only um, – the the main All-American game, was he the only guy, I think, in this class? Yeah, yeah I think so. That yeah. was selected for that? So that's something as well. Yeah. Right. So I really I, – I think, you know, Kirk talked up just his familiarity with the class – I think in looking at it and examining it over time, looking at what they could do. And um, I really like it. I, I think it's, you know, first thing that stands out to me is offensive line. I mean, they, they've got, they're, they're them in Wisconsin to me just blew it out of the water when it came to who got what on offensive line. I think, I think these players finally understood that, Oh, well, I could go to the shiny great object over there or I could, uh, you know, bury my treasure chest and then end up making a you know, million dollars in five years. And when you look and you see Connor Colby 
I, I mentioned this maybe even here a couple weeks ago that, you know, he committed so early, it's easy to forget about a guy like that. And then I'm like, you know what, I'm going to write about him before he enrolls. And I went back through and watched his highlights. And I'm like, holy cow. I mean, this dude's awesome. Um, he's going to be, you know, a very impressive player. You know, David Davikoff, I think is the same way. You know, I, I, for when I talked to him last spring after he committed and he had Ohio State and Michigan after him, you know, and same thing with Colby. But in Davikoff's case, I'm like, man, you remind me a lot of Brandon Sheriff and just the style you know, now could he dominate at that level? Well, we'll, we'll find out, but you know, that, that's what it looks like to me. And Miss Linsky, <laughs> if, if there's a doppelganger for, uh, for Linderbaum, they found it. And I'm, I think that they're probably thrilled to pieces that they stayed on him long enough to, you know, even though he committed to Texas, that they were still kind of there and then, then really build up, continue to build that reputation, uh, relationship. So, um, that's really the first standout thoughts I had. What about you? Yeah, I would agree. And um, even beyond those three that you mentioned on the offensive line, Bo Stevens is a guy that gets overlooked too because yeah, he committed kind of early, but he's a four-star on Rivals and 247. He is, uh, he's an interesting prospect. Pretty athletic guy that I think projects probably at, at one of the guard spots. I could yeah. see him moving to center if it works out that, you know, Mislinski might move around a little bit. They, and Iowa likes to try guys at different positions. He's a guy that I think is kind of flying under the radar a little bit. Um, and then to me, Scott, I think importantly in this class, when you lose Brandon Smith and Amir Smith-Marset, you're bringing in a pretty good group, group of receivers. Yeah. So Absolutely. And, you know, there's – there's graduation and loss on the offensive line. As you mentioned, they address the, they address positions that they need, which is good. Um, I still wonder a little bit about, um, you know, they didn't get a tight end in this class, which mm -hmm. I thought was interesting. Maybe they go to the portal there a uh, little light on defensive line. Mm -hmm. That's another to me is okay. So those when I'm looking at those positions, I'm thinking to myself, where you know, are they? Or do they feel good about what they have in the program already? Um, did they just miss on these positions? How are they going to address it? Does it need to be addressed? Those are some thoughts that go through my mind at those spots. Yeah, I mean, D line, you know, they ended up with four last year. They had six, so they had they yeah. have quite a few in that bank right there. You know, the, the big problem, of course, is they only have one player who's beyond a junior, <laughs> and he's a sixth-year guy that came back for an extra year. So right. that's the transfer portal to me. Um, you've got to grab one, two, something, because that that defensive line the last three to four years has been, you know, the best asset of this team. And, you know, and, and you're not going to find Chauncey Golston out there on the uh, transfer portal. You're not going to find Davion Nixon on the transfer portal. But you might find Jack Heflin, and then you might be able to, to coach up, a, you know, a, a YA Black to all of a sudden, okay, you're, you're pretty good. Or, you know, uh, Wagner or, or somebody, you know, take that next step. Logan Lee, like we heard about all the way until the season started, and then where did he go? Uh, you know, yeah, we never really – it's hard to know on the defensive line, Scott. And this isn't unique to Iowa or, or uh, the position, but especially at Iowa, I think. Iowa really shies away from playing younger guys unless it's just so obvious 
you look at a Logan Jones or a Logan Lee or, mm-hmm. you know, you look at this guys that – Iowa's lost starters, what, three starters off the defensive line the last three years? That's because those guys have all had to wait their turn. Right. Uh, they don't – and don't really – like Brady Reef, uh, you know, uh, Lattimore played when he was yeah. younger and kind of built mm-hmm. his – but a lot of times it's guys – that don't really get in there till later in their careers. Even Golston wasn't a starter until he was a junior. So um, that's kind of, we'll see if that's caught up with them, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean, I, you look at the the last three years, you know, Anthony Nelson was a beast. He's in the Super Bowl this week. Uh, you know, Parker Hesse, AJ Epineza was behind him. I still disagree with that, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, you look, you look at, um, the, the tackles at that point, um, what it was, uh, Matt, excuse me, Matt Nelson and, uh, uh Matt Nelson who's Sam starting, Ranks. who's starting on the offensive line now. And yep. even Lattimore had a really good game to end the season this year. That probably boosted his yeah. stock. Right. Six tackles. Yeah. And they signed him to a futures contract that next day. So, yep. um, yeah, he had a great game in that playoff game where they needed him, you know, and Hey, he played. Uh, you know, Sam Brinks uh, was a starter um, the next year, you know, Lattimore and Reef. I mean, I, I kind of thought Lattimore should have probably been ahead of Brinks, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, likewise, you yeah, had the defensive ends, which were <laughs> Golston and, and Epineza and Epineza left. And, and then last year with Nixon and um, Golston, you knew those two would be good. You kind of wondered, okay, who's the other guys? And Heflin came out uh, like he would, you know, the stork dropped him off at Kinnick Stadium, you know, and and uh, Van Valkenburg was a guy who took that step, you yep. know, because the first game or two, he was not great, honestly. I, I was kind of like, um, you might want to get a younger guy in there if you're going to get somebody like that. And then by, you know, last six games, he was outstanding. And and so I look at, you know, there, there are some real questions, you know, like Matt Lorbeck left in, in the transfer portal. It's like, hey, did we even know you were here? But uh, he's gone. Uh, but I really, really like three redshirt freshmen there. And that's, uh, you know, Logan Jones, YA Black, and Deontay Craig. I think they're going to be – they could be contributors as soon as this year. But the players they need to step up are Chris Reams and Jake Karchinski. Mm-hmm. You know, they're sophomores now. They need to be in that rotation. And when you got, uh, you know, Noah Shannon and, and Jack Wagner and, and uh, Joe Evans and, you know, they – all these guys need to come in, but I, I think they could still use at least one ass kicker in the middle to, you know, to chew up blocks to allow what I think is a pretty good linebacking core and a, and a very, very good secondary to, to do its job. I agree. I think you look at the transfer portal and defensive line in the middle is something that uh, I think would benefit Iowa. And I also wouldn't be opposed to adding, you know, a wide receiver or a running back either. And yeah. Running back, you know, they – let's be honest here. They they went through a lot of scholarship offers, you know, mm-hmm. from Eli Sanders to Kendrell Williams to Jacquez Hunter. I'm talking guys late in the process they yeah. were trying to get throughout January. They end up landing on Devin Hilson. I think he was kind of the ace in the hole for them if they mm-hmm. – and I don't know one way or the other whether he would be in this class, whether they got one of those guys or not because they kind of liked him at linebacker, too. They're mm-hmm. going to bring him in at running back. It's obviously a position that they're going to have to teach him to play. He hasn't played a lot of it. I think he had 11 carries this year. They only played yeah. two games. Um, great story here, though, Scott. 
uh, coming out of Des Moines Public School. Uh, we've all written about this and had a chance to talk to, to Devin as well. It, it's an easy kid to root for, no doubt. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I talked to him and his coach. I'm sure, you know, I know you have too. And it's just, um, you know, to, to see the way he worked to get to this position. And, uh, you know, early on, it, this, this going to be a preferred walk-on opportunity. You just can't afford it the way other people can. He probably would have gone Division Two, you know, because you and I even pulled his offer. So, you know, he had very few opportunities, but he had to put himself in this position, you know, when, what was it, midway through his junior year, he goes to Eric Addy, his, his head coach, and just says, I want to play college football. And he's like, well, you're going to have to get better academically <laughs> or it's not going to happen. And, and so he did, and he put himself in this position. Now, let's face it, he's going to be a scout team running back this year. That's all he's really going to be. So whether they go to the portal um, or just organically move somebody up, I mean, they're still pretty light at that position. You know, they've got four, now five, counting Hilson, but, you know, four holdovers. And one of them, you know, is not going to be able to probably practice till at earliest August, you know, and Kelly Martin. And so, you know, can Gavin Williams be number two? Yeah. Can LaShawn Williams be number three? Probably. But you might need number four, or you might need number two, and the other two are three and four, you know, something like that. So that's where I'm thinking transfer portal would be, a, uh, you know, an important step, if nothing else, just to have somebody take some of the blow away from Tyler Goodson. Yeah, you got to prepare for injury, too. You don't yeah. want it to happen, obviously, but you, that's a position that just sustains a lot of wear and tear. Um, and <laughs> you're giving the ball to somebody to wait for them to be nailed by a defender. That's, the, yeah. you know, that's basically what it happens. And, you know, that obviously increases the chance of injury there. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think I hadn't written this down, but it popped up when I was talking, when I was thinking about Hilson and development at the running back position, we saw, I don't know if it's been confirmed by anybody yet, either the chargers or Iowa, yeah, right. Saw this. I mean, Iowa looks like, at least according to reports, they're going to have to have, you know, find a new running backs coach um, with a room that's a little bit light. Uh, if folks that are listening haven't seen the report yet, somebody on the Chargers beat. Uh, no, it Matt, Matt Zenith, uh, who covers, uh, he's in Alabama. So he's well aware okay. of Sam Samford and gotcha, gotcha, and gotcha. that area. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for clarifying that. But uh, yeah. Derek Derek Foster uh, looks like he's going to be moving on up to the to Los Angeles, which he's probably yeah. looking at the weather here today and thinking, yeah, that's a good that's a good move beyond yeah, exactly. professionally, uh, just I, from a weather I, standpoint. And uh, right, he's been an underrated. I think he's been. An, not, I don't want to say underrated, but I don't know if fans understand, Scott, how important he's been, just in terms of not only the running back position, but in recruiting. Without a doubt. I mean, he's, he's been the, the guy that's really pushed the buttons in the South. But I also think he's been essential in talking to some of the players and their parents in just solidifying how they felt about Iowa. You know, Tyler Goodson and his family mm -hmm. and everything. He's really been you know, a guy that's reached out to them and, and been a, a very – close confidant and 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 had been in their corner and done a lot of things that I think has really been important and you can't you know if you're an Iowa fan you can't begrudge the guy for getting an opportunity in the oh. NFL and he's not from here or anything like that I would also caution them from from and then I've seen this speculation just 
as soon as it started of which Iowa player can come in and be running backs coach, you know, and somebody had, uh, uh, you know, just eh, get away from that. Maybe it's not the best thing to just insert former Hawkeye here. Maybe you want to get somebody with a different background and, and, and that, but I think this is, this is a tough loss, but you know what I kind of think might end up happening out of uh, at running back is the spring, a lot of FCS teams play. I could see them using the grad train, you know, somebody after a six or eight game stretch deciding to bolt a, a Valley team or, mm-hmm. or somebody like that. And then that's where you use it. But, but I am interested to see how and who they would end up looking at for running back, you know, what kind of person they've had experience with and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, cause they really, I mean, kind of went off the grid, so to speak for, for Derek. Yeah, Coach right. Foster and Copeland. I mean, they had connections there in in various ways to those guys, but um, you know, I I, did, I wouldn't like you said. I just because the you know the I think the 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 first reflex is to go with all right, what for of a Hawkeye we can get. You know, let's have B.J. Armstrong as the Iowa basketball coach, <laughs> Marv Cook coaching yeah. Iowa football, whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I think. <laughs> I think there'll be plenty of really good applicants for the job. Um, and Kirk's done a pretty good job hiring assistants. Mm-hmm. He's had some hiccups here and there, but everybody does. For overall, he, this staff that he's put together here, for the most part, is a pretty good staff. So be interested to see what he's able to – what type of candidates he's able – and, again, you know what sucks is the pandemic, and that's going to probably compromise the uh, hiring process a little bit just in terms of uh, – you know, can you get guys to come in for in-person interviews? Are you doing these things over Zoom? Uh, we'll kind of see how that goes. Yeah, that's going to be really tough. I'm sure that's how they'll conduct the majority of their first looks at people. You know, probably they'll, for a job like that, you're probably going to get 100 resumes easy, mm-hmm. um, you know, for a team like this. So they'll probably sort that out, cut it down, you know, make some calls and then, figure out maybe a top eight or 10 list and then start going from there. It may, it's probably going to spill into spring football, even though it's going to start really late this year. But uh, you know, the, the one thing they do have on staff is Brian Ferentz has coached that position group. And so it, it probably would be easy for him to step into that role, at least during the spring, Tyler Goodson, you know, Gavin Williams, LaShawn Williams, they've all been here. Uh, Hilson's not going to be here. So, you know, it's not like they're walking in with three new guys, you know, a a grad transfer and two mid-year freshman enrollees. So I think they'll be okay in the spring, but, you know, I I like the idea of going outside and they, as you mentioned, they did that with, with, uh, you know, Copeland, they did that with Foster. They did that with Polisek who never even coached offensive line before. Mm -hmm. Um, and so on the offensive side of the ball, they, you know, the only one that's really had a lot of, I mean, I guess Brian Ferentz, but also Ken O'Keefe, they're the only two that have really been on the staff for a while. So, you know, if they can get somebody else to come in and really, you know, recruit an area now, what does that mean for recruiting in the South? You know, that was his forte. Does that, that was his area. So do they just say, you know what, he made all these contacts in Alabama and Georgia and Florida we're just going to, you know, the next guy's contacts are in Texas. We're just going to go there or the Northeast. I don't know. That's, that's intriguing to me. 
Yeah, and I think Iowa under Kirk Ferentz has been pretty good at um, seamlessly shifting those recruiting areas, whether it be, like you said, that New York – like we're seeing Iowa go back now that O'Keefe's back on staff, back into that New England area, Mm -hmm. Massachusetts, Connecticut, um, you know, and maybe not as much in Florida now with Foster down in Alabama and Georgia, uh, Mississippi down in there, we see more offers. Uh, but when Bobby Kennedy was here, it was more, and Greg Davis was here, it was more Texas. Mm-hmm. So I think Iowa has been pretty flexible in ba- being able to, you're always going to want the footprint of Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Minnesota, what have you, Missouri. Yeah. Um, but I think they can, um, they can kind of look for the best candidate that is a combination of, you know, on-field coach and then what type of connections does he have in whatever recruiting area is his area, so to speak. Yeah. And plus he's the offensive recruiting coordinator since they split those roles uh, that he's the guy that during the week goes out and makes in-person evaluate. Now that hasn't mattered, right. <laughs> but you know, but, but once uh, Kelvin got moved up, they brought Jay Neiman in, you know, Jay Neiman kind of took it for the defensive side and, and Derek Foster on the offensive side. So they've got to either look at somebody on staff to kind of assume that role or bring in the new person with that type of um, background or that type of, job description so I think there's you know this is an important hire just like all of them are you know there's a natural tendency again I think people to want to have an Iowa player assume that position but or former Iowa player but I just I think right now let's get a little bit more diversity and of opinion and thought and background and and I think that's the best route for Iowa when it comes to offense because Going old Iowa is never the answer right now in the today's world on offense, especially. And this may not be the only hire on this staff this offseason, Scott. I mean, we're still only February 4th. This is kind of the time where we're seeing. And it's a little bit delayed this year, too, because the Super Bowl is a little bit later, I think. And then also, just with the pandemic, it's kind of pushed the clock back on everything. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of places, I mean, Iowa's traditionally this way, unless coaches, you know, like, you know, they kind of dismissed, you know, back in 2000, early 2017, they dismissed White and Kennedy and, mm-hmm. and uh, Greg Davis retired. That was kind of an outlier. Usually they do wait till after signing day, the second one, before they make their, their moves as far as, you know, positionally. So, you know, I mean, Seth Wallace has had, you know, he had, did have an interview with Purdue. I do know that. Um, is that something that can materialize? Maybe, you know, who knows? But I just, you know, I think right now he could be looking for multiple coaches. And, and you know, there's enough of a structure there that I don't think anybody should sweat it too much. But it does, uh, it does matter in the big picture because if you lose one recruit that you really wanted because of, of an assistant coach, that sometimes that shows up on third and seven, either side of the ball. You know, it could be a holding penalty, could be a first down, you know, defense, offense, doesn't matter. Yeah, so something's certainly to monitor, kind of keep your eye on uh, social media, regular media, all that stuff to kind of see um, some news that, that may pop up in terms of coaching and transfer portal. And it's kind of a 12-month-a-year deal now. Yeah. Um, there's usually something going on. All and Scott makes a good point too with the FCS 
schools starting up play now. That's going to uh, become another avenue for Power Five schools to find prospects and potential players, student athletes, to help their programs. So, um, yeah, a lot yeah, going I, on there. You know, uh, in two weeks from tomorrow is a top five matchup in in our state. And it's uh, Northern Iowa versus South Dakota State in FCS football. I'm, there are plenty of players on that field who, who would be able to play Big Ten football, you know, especially the older ones who've been through the wars. So after seven, eight games this year, you know, they'll be game ready. Now they'll, they'll need a little rest from their body. But, you know, four months later, they'd be all right coming to training camp. You know, so I, if I were Iowa staff, I would see if I could find a way to – Hey, can we come up and watch that game? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of these games are going to be on television too. They should be. And the, the, there needs, I, I'm really surprised. And, and I got to actually write this since I'm college football, I got to write about FCS football going uh, as a preview. And uh, I'm surprised that ESPN or, or one of the other networks hasn't reached out to the Valley and put together a big package. I mean, NFL network, yeah. hey, you want to, you want to see the next Trey Lance or, you know, Joe Flacco or, you know, a lot of these, you know, J Jimmy Garoppolo, Tony Romo. I mean, there's James a lot Robinson. Of, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good players at that level. And, and I, I'm surprised they haven't done anything there yet. Yeah, there's still time. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> um, so before we move on from recruiting, Scott, um, I, and I don't want this to come off as, okay, this is going to be the, you know, the, the, the guy that we're rooting for the most or the guy that we think is going to be, uh, you know, set in stone. Who's your guy in this class? Who, who's your guy you think emerges as, I don't know how you want to frame it, all Big Ten or, um, you know, star or whatever. Who, who's your guy in this class that you like? There's a handful, I'm sure, and I'm trying to figure out which one I should need to put at the <laughs> it's top. It's hard with this class. Yeah, because there are some that, I, I mean, I, I already mentioned the offensive line, so I'll kind of keep that out. Um, the two that I'm – one's on each side of the ball, but I'm, I'm going to go with Keegan Johnson. And I think Keegan Johnson has a chance to step right in and play right away to fill the role vacated by Amir Smith-Marset. He doesn't necessarily have that kind of – speed but very few people do but I think he can do everything else his brother Cade Johnson had an incredible week at the senior bowl probably vaulted himself in the top 100 picks uh he was at South Dakota State yeah he would have been a nice transfer portal addition I think but um Keegan Johnson I think will play right away I think he'll be he'll help elevate the receiving core uh but my 1b is is Cooper Dijon I think maybe next year he won't play but I think in the future, it, the, the comparisons are too easy to make with Sash. But you know what? I see Tyler Sash there. So I got to say it. I want to let people know that I did not present this question to uh, Scott in our brief, <laughs> our brief planning meeting. Mm -hmm. We don't really have planning meetings no. on the podcast. We go over what we're going to talk about for about two seconds and then we start recording. Yeah. But, uh, believe it or not. I don't know if we're both uh, screwy or whatever it is, but I agree. I, those are my <laughs> two guys. Uh, I am right on the same page with Scott. I think you talked about it. Cooper Dijon, the athleticism. If people haven't seen the, the basketball videos yet, 
Um, do yourself a favor and Google and look at what type of athlete this kid is. Don't think, you know, and this is not a knock on small town Iowa, um, but don't think this, you know, this is a guy who took advantage of, you know, smaller class football. He's legit. He is mm-hmm. a legit Division One Power Five athlete um, who could have played college basketball without a doubt in my mind. Um, and Keegan Johnson is a guy that I think – had he been playing in Texas or California or Florida would be a lot more people would be talking about him, but he mm-hmm. plays in the Omaha, Nebraska area. Um, and, you know, doesn't get as much publicity, but he is a legit college wide receiver prospect. So I'm on board with both of those guys. Um, and then Scott and I are probably both silly for not picking an offensive line. I know. I, I was thinking that too. And that's, you know, cause I, I like, I really like the three I mentioned. And I, I do think that there's a real strong likelihood that maybe we see either Colby or David Koff get in some rotational snaps at like guard. They like to do that early with guys and maybe it might be both of them. Maybe it's a, if they, if they think they're both capable of taking that jump that it could be, you know, almost in every other game, you get a couple series, you know, that type of thing, just to, get their feet wet. I think they both play. They, they both keep their red shirt. I, I, as I said, I really like both of them. Maybe uh, Miss Linsky's in the same boat. Now it depends on what they think about, you know, is he going to be the center after Linderbaum or is it going to be Justin Britt? I think Britt play, Britt's going to be a really good player when he gets to play every down, but Miss Linsky might be in there too. Defensive line, Griffin Little, I've, gosh, you know, they offered him when he was a freshman in high school. Yes. Uh, so I've been hearing about this guy since uh, my buddy Bobby Lejess wrote about him. Uh, that's, know, a, years ago. that's a Reese Morgan kid, too. I know yeah. we're starting to move away from Reese, yeah. you know, having connections to summer recruits, but yeah. he was on Griffin very early. Yeah, he was. Um, I like Jeff Bowie, too, from, yep. uh, from West Branch. Sullivan might be able to help right away, and he's got – He's maybe the most mature, interesting guy I've ever spoken with, uh, you know, at least an incoming recruit. I think he can help right away maybe as a pass rusher. You know, maybe he's that stand-up guy um, on third down because they're going to have to get a pass rush. Even if they go to the transfer portal, they're going to have to get after the quarterback. And if he can do that, you know, twice a game, you know, 10, 10 snaps, great. But, and for and, people and, that are listening that don't know – Justice Sullivan is the son of Jake Sullivan, a former Iowa State basketball standout. So you can take some pleasure, Hawkeye fans, and also watching Jake wear Iowa gear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's been awfully critical of his basketball program, too. So, yes. uh, and uh, I, th- I would say deservedly so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other guy I don't want to go away without mentioning is, is Ar- Arlen Bruce, because I do think he's got a chance also to make an impact. He's uh, and depending on what happens at running back, I could see him taking some snaps there, at least as a first in his first year until they get that position stabilized before they turn him into that Tyrone Tracy type of running back or wide receiver. Yeah, that's the good comp for Bruce is Tracy. And I would say Keegan Johnson is more of an Amir type receiver. Um, not, not direct comps, but more of that just physical. And then Brecht is more in uh, the Brandon Smith mold, bigger linear type guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like, I like Keegan Johnson almost as kind of a hybrid, if you will, of of Amir 
DJ K. Darrell is definitely somebody I thought of watching yeah. this film. And and maybe Tavon Smith. Yeah. Maybe he's got more. He's a little bit bigger, I think, and a little bit more physical than, than Amir. So he's maybe more Tavon. Uh, and then DJK was really pretty proficient in running routes. And and I and I would say Tavon, unfortunately, was one guy who he. I wouldn't say his career got wasted, but I'd say it, he. No, you he, can say that. Yeah. Yeah. I think he. He's he was too <laughs> underused, good. Underused. Underutilized. Yeah, absolutely. Was totally by the uh, offensive staff. So I, but I, I think Johnson has a chance to be better than all of them. Yep. I so, would agree. Yeah. And that's saying something. Cause I think, yeah. you know, side stories aside, you can't think of Iowa football in the last 22 years without putting Darrell mm-hmm. as one of the best playmakers that, that have been on the field in the last two plus decades. He made he made play after play after play. You know yeah. his philosophy: make plays or die. Now, yes, you you could be angry with him for everything he's written or said or whatever. That's fine. That's fair game. But when you judge him for his abilities and what he was able to do, and uh, there were few better than him. I mean, Marvin is probably the only one that I would say was better in his career in the Iowa era. I mean, you could stack up Brandon or Amir or Matt Vandenberg or whoever. Kevin Casper, kind of that yeah. was the, he was kind of that the those early guys like the Hayden, uh, you know Khalil Hill, those yeah. guys early that were kind of they bridged the bridged the gap between Hayden and uh, and Kirk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but he and and he did it in, in the special teams era too. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, I remember that Ohio State game when they go down 20, 24 to ten. And then boom, he come, brings the kickoff back, and they're right back in that game. So, but that said, you know, I, I think they the, these three players all have a chance to be three contributors. How do they go forward? You know, I'm I'm really interested to see the the two freshmen because we didn't see anything with them last year, Matthews or Vines, mm-hmm. and and uh, Desmond Hudson. This is his time now that Smith's gone. This is his time to be the guy. So and Cooper's back too. So right. Be interesting to see how that all comes together at receiver because let's face it, those are two, they've got two big holes to fill with Brandon Smith and Amir moving on. Right. Um, you, you know, they've got two guys that have, that have played a lot and will play a lot. You know, Rickany in the slot, Tyrone at any position that they need him to play. You know, who's the third guy? Charlie Jones kind of stands out for me first. Max Cooper maybe is kind of a backup rotational guy, but. I, if I'm Iowa, I want to see somebody else push. And uh, now Cooper is interesting from a scholarship standpoint because he's considered not necessarily an extra year guy. He's actually a redshirt senior because he uses redshirt. So it actually counts against their scholarship numbers versus what it, it might have been if he would have just a return guy. And it's a smaller class, recruiting class, so with 19 guys. So I'm yeah. so. Yeah, that puzzle's still being put together as well, the scholarship deal. Um, yeah. Scott, let's move on to uh, some items from Kirk's press conference. Um, I know you asked about Taj McCall. I was not aware of that, that opting out is the entire academic year, fall and spring. So um, I f- that was kind of interesting to me that he said uh, the second year defensive lineman from Florida is not with the team, but he's still on the roster. We'll kind of see how that plays out. Um, yeah. But yeah, guys that opt out are opting out for an entire year. 
Yeah, I thought it was just the semester. I thought it was just right. the football season. I didn't realize it was the entire year. Um, I, you know, and I don't know what that means, you know, for somebody like that. Um, I kind of just almost wrote him off, <laughs> especially when Colbert left, you know, I kind of, all right, fine. He's, he's done. So, so but, does his scholarship count though? Yeah, it does. Okay. You know, on this, on this year. Now, if he comes back, then now, if he comes back and doesn't play football, then he kind of transitions into that, right. um, uh, Mike, Michael Lois, you know, category, almost right. a red shirt category, but, um, I don't know what that means for the future though. I mean, does he come back, you know, in early June and start working out or does he leave? I mean, he's a guy that came, I mean, he was a Derek Foster recruit from Florida and opted out this year in this horrific year. I, I, I guess I'm surprised he's even in school here. I thought he would yeah. probably transfer by now, but to his credit, he hasn't. So let's see what that means. What else did we get out of uh, quarterback of roster? Anything else roster wise, any housekeeping roster wise that we saw? Speedwax yeah. on scholarship. Speedwax on scholarship. He's coming back for a sixth year. Um, yeah, I was told that he was going to come back a month ago or so, and and Shudak, and you know that those are smart moves for mm -hmm. Iowa. You know, bring back guys uh, who, you know, because Caleb Shudak, we've heard it for what two to three years now. Oh, he's right there with Keith Duncan, like like they were one A and one B, but you know for that role, and even when Keith Duncan wins the All American honors. Um, you know, the Hankins part of things was interesting, I thought. It with kind of, Xavier Williams, right? Just kind of because yeah. you and I have been reading the tea leaves on this podcast. That yeah. We thought Hankins was moving on because of the addition of Xavier Williams. thought it was interesting what Kirk said yesterday about Xavier Williams. Why don't you fill the listeners in on that? Yeah, I mean, with, uh, with Xavier Williams, they're going to start him out. At, they like him. They start him out at cornerback, but then they'll just kind of see where he, versatility-wise, where he ends up. I mean, he had almost a, what, almost 900 yards of, of uh, punt return and kick return yards, so I think he could probably help out there. Uh, having a full secondary, you know, you kind of look and wonder where does he fit? How does he fit? You know, is he going to be underutilized? Uh, you know, what does that mean for – Terry Roberts, you know, somebody like that. But, uh, you know, when you look at, um, at Hankins, I, interesting, 27 career starts over four years. He might be the first player in Iowa history and any history to start five bowl games. He would if it counted, if, if the Music City Bowl would have went on. Mm. So that, that's kind of fascinating. Um, I don't know. What, what are kind of your general thoughts about that? Yeah, I think that was uh... – I think we're going to see more because of the situation at linebacker. I think we're going to see a lot more cash. I think, you know, having Kevon Merriweather with Dane Belton out there is probably beneficial to this defense. Having those guys now are both more physically matured. I think yeah. you can stand up against big 10 offenses regardless of what it lo they look like, whether they're, you know, more spread out or more Wisconsin-like or whatever. Those guys, I think, can handle that now. Um, and I think so that probably opens up a little bit more room for Xavier Williams. Maybe mm -hmm. if you go nickel, you go dime or whatever with the cash out there. I think they're going to rely a lot more on that secondary this year, maybe than they will on linebacker. Um, maybe more than ever that we've yeah. seen in the Ferentz era. Right. I mean, you, you look at linebacker, and they've got three guys that, have, that played 
you know, I, I think Campbell and Benson are kind of your your well, Campbell, will be on, Campbell will be on, be yeah. on the field. I think we're all in agreement that somebody needs to be, you know, somebody needs to have their themselves checked if he's not on the field at all times. Yeah, he's he tips the field. He's, <laughs> he's a guy that if you're, if you're looking for that under the radar, okay, who's going to end up being a first-team All-American like Davion Nixon? It's Jack Campbell. Yes. Uh, Seth Benson and Justin Jacobs, I'd like to see that be a true comp, uh, competition. I want to see if, you know, because I, I liked Benson the way he played. He'd be fine any other year. But when you have somebody with that kind of athletic ability as Justin Jacobs, I think you want to make sure he gets on the field. That's always a position group, though, where there's, you know, kind of a union card element to it. And um, so I don't know. Hopefully they don't get there. And then the other one is Jay Higgins. I, you know, he played a little bit last year. Logan Klempt, too, is a, is a junior. Um, but, you know, Higgins – tackling machine I think he's going to be an important piece going forward for this program so I'm not you know out of the the incoming freshmen I would say Justice Sullivan is probably the one that maybe plays first but you know Zach Tweet you know he's he's coming on campus now so you never know how that may materialize yeah for sure we'll have to get an idea of uh, what those kind of like defensive line, there's some of that, those guys that have been there here now for a couple of years, who's going to emerge from that pack, that yeah. defensive line and that linebacker to be able to contribute. So yeah, absolutely. Something to keep an eye on. You know, one thing I did want to bring up that I, that I slipped my mind was, you know, with Julius Brent's leaving, I wonder if he knew that Hankins was coming back. Could be. If, that, you know, because Kirk said so, that he surprised him. He was perplexed by what he had to say. And it was, and you know, just kind of reading the tea leaves, I suppose it's, I don't feel like I have a chance to play or start. Well, if Hankins is coming back, and uh, then he's not going to have a chance to beat out him or Riley Moss. Yeah. So maybe that's the the thought of, all right, I'm going to opt out. I'm going to go somewhere else because I don't think I'm going to get much of a chance to play. So. And he's at Kansas State for the listeners that yeah. have missed that. So he's going to the Big 12 um, where he'll see plenty of offenses <laughs> that can yeah, right. do damage. Um, speaking of offense, Scott, and you kind of touched on this a few minutes ago when we were jumping around in football. Uh, this is going to be a big topic all off season, I think, based on what we saw in the fall. Um, I know you, uh, Chad Leistico, um, other people yesterday on the Zoom kind of uh, – I, I think we're trying to – Kirk has a tendency to avoid any type of concrete, uh, you know, declaration. Uh, he wants it to – He and I'm not saying he, this isn't, you know – uh, genuine because right. I think they do you know if a guy's playing really well in the spring and summer and he can help them they're going to try to get him on the field I, I do believe the coaches try to play the best coaches or best players there are other you know variables that go into that experience trust level all that other stuff um, you guys asked about Spencer Petrus and kind of what his um kind of what type of hold he has on this starting quarterback position after starting eight games in the pandemic season, uh, looking pretty bad in the first two games, uh, and then improving as the season went on, won six straight starts. Um, I don't know if I was surprised, just for the listeners that may have missed it, and Scott can talk about this more, kind of what his 
how he extrapolated information from what Kirk says, who, who like I said, he's, he can kind of be vague and, and make you think and, and kind of read between the lines. What I read between the lines from his, Scott, his comment, Scott, was Spencer Petrus has a significant lead as the starting quarterback for 2021, and they feel pretty comfortable with that. Yeah, I went back, I, re, I, I listened to it because I wanted to hear the tone and the way he said it, and then I also re, you know, went through the comments and, and then wrote about it. That was my main story. And I, my first takeaway was kind of, oh, here we go again. <laughs> yeah. You know, Kirk's just going to stick with what he's got, and he likes it. He's going to make every, uh, you know, some cases excuse for player and going forward, and that's going to be it. I do know he is – careful on what he says about quarterbacks in general so there's always that diplomat diplomacy that he always kind of uses but but then in looking back and reading the actual quote again and then listening to it you know he says he has great belief in Spencer he's a tremendous guy leader you know they won a lot of games and they expect him to improve and then they you know he said we we plan an open competition but Spencer's done a really good job and he's our starter right now so somebody has got to beat him out, but it's got to be a fair competition. And I think that's all fair when we're talking about in, in early February. They thought the quarterback was good, uh, good enough that they feel like they could win with him. He was improving. He's the number one guy when we say, all right, first team offense out there, it's Spencer Petras. But they're also going to allow Alex Padilla, Deuce Hogan, anybody else to run out there and uh, – take snaps with the first team. And at least if they have a spring practice, they'll have those chances. And then same thing with fall camp and everything else. So I think there's, you know, it's kind of like a champion holds the belt as long as he, you know, even if it's a tie. And I think that's kind of where they are with this. But I do like the idea that they're going to get opportunities. And if they move the team better in practice, if they look better, if they're more accurate, if they look more decisive, um, if they go for more of the, if they show the similar or better leadership qualities, then I think that if they can make it a tough decision, I think that's good for this football team. Yeah, and I think it's impossible for us to know just how this whole thing sets up. We don't know how far ahead Spencer is going into this thing. Um, we can only, you know, derive so much from these comments again he's not going to paint himself in a corner he's he's been around too long to do that uh, yeah. we don't know how much they saw from deuce hogan since he's been on campus how many reps he's been able to get you know what was going on in practice this fall guys in and out with covid all this other stuff how you know how how much of a handle do they really have on him i did find it interesting when i think it was your question when he was talking about the position, he did mention Alex Padilla, but he did yeah. not mention Deuce Hogan by name right? initially. And yeah. then Chad, I think, followed up on your question and, and named Deuce specifically. Right. But I get a feeling that Padilla's in that two spot. Yeah, you know, we, it's, it's more, more difficult to have side conversations with people during COVID and, right. and everything like that. But the ones that I've had, they've liked Alex. They really do. And, and I, I think if Deuce may be a year away. Now, that said, Deuce got to campus in June. 
during um, a pandemic. During a pandemic where the workouts were very limited. They weren't real with a lot of people. They didn't have August. You know, they had, what, three right. practices, and then it, it got shut down. Then they didn't ha start having padded practices until September. Then it's just like, you got to get this team ready to play. So he didn't – he was scout team guy. He didn't have much of a chance. I mean, he was – from what it sounded like, a few people said that, you know, he was a take charge guy that, you know, there are a few areas that he needed to improve on, but, you know, he spun it pretty well, but, you know, it's his opportunity too. But I do know that when they were, when he was going through a really rough patch and Spencer, I was told by one person that, you know, we've told Alex to be ready. And, and so that said, if he can get those opportunities in the spring and, and in an early camp and by our kids' day practice, we should know if it's a if it's a legitimate open competition and it's an even competition, or if hey, Spencer's improved too. Spencer's finally got his spring and he's working with these receivers and he looks good. He looks like a guy we expect. More power to him. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's all about who's the best, not who somebody wants to play just because they're different and Alex Padilla has been overlooked for a little while I mean really I, I always said he's like the most overlooked good quarterback coming into the Iowa that I can ever remember because everybody gets hyped you know everybody Peyton Manziel got hyped you know uh, Deuce probably over the top so you know and and now Alex Padilla is like well all he did was win at a really big high school in Colorado and and set a bunch of records and um looked really accurate and led the team and in scout team. So I think he's, I think he can be very competitive for that role. Yeah. And an offer from Georgia coming out of high school too. So it's not like he's got no pedigree or, you know, there weren't other schools that were mm -hmm. uh, interested in bringing him in as a quarterback. He did need a little bit of development. And I think he's gotten that the last few years and important thing to remember too, if you're um, looking at this from the outside as a fan or, um, the, the, I think what we saw back in 14 with Rudock and Bethard, you, you, you kind of – the coaches know. They know the dynamic of if you're not playing the best guy, you're going to lose the locker room. Because not, it's not only the coaches doing this evaluation, it's all the players on the team. Yes. So you, you can't just push through because you like a guy. Or you, or you think it's it's a it's a group decision. It's a it's a all-encompassing decision made by the entire program at that position. Ultimately, it's the coaches, but you can't fake this one, Scott. Yeah, yeah, you can't fake it. And at this point in his career, you know, I I don't know if it's an urgency or just a little more heightened awareness. You know, Kirk has you know, pushes things forward a little bit more. And I, and I would I would go back to that decision because that decision was tough because as we've seen, Jake Rudock is a really good quarterback. And it and, went against every fiber of his being. Yes. But it was what the best thing that had to happen for the team was CJ Beathard. And it proved to be right. Both are still in the NFL. Yep. <laughs> I mean, Rudock was on the Dolphins roster this year. Beathard's going to get paid at least as a backup quarterback with an opportunity to challenge for a starting role this year. He was really good uh, in his limited opportunities this year. So that was the right move. And I, and I would say since then we've seen Kirk take a little bit stronger view in, in certain competitions. Um, you know, he let Uyghurs and uh, Stanley play out all the way through camp, 
even though we kind of knew Stanley was the guy for the most part, but gave him the opportunity and then went with it and didn't really look back. Didn't have to Stanley for the most part played okay, but it was, uh, you know, and I think that's the same thing with this situation is, you know, telling all the quarterbacks, look, it's going to be open. You got to go out and win that job. But if all things are equal, it's going to be Spencer. You know, he's already had that opportunity. And, and I, there's and that's really fair. no way, Scott, to predict how or at what rate a guy is going to develop. Yeah. You know, Rudock was ahead of Bethard in 2013, and then Bethard you know, caught him. Right. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with Deuce. We don't right. know what's going to happen with Padilla. We don't know what's going to happen with Joey Labus when he gets right. on. Right. I mean, you just – you don't know how these guys are going to develop and what that time – line is going to look like trajectory is a tricky thing when it comes to athletes in general but especially a quarterback yeah. because uh you know i i remember talking about this at length with morehouse um with, with bethard and rudock going into the 2013 season because we were talking about who should start i'm like well it's obvious that jake rudock has a better handle of the offense right and right now that's a good thing you know he can get you in and out of plays he can hand the ball off he knows where to go with the ball that's but what's going to happen if trajectory catches up with him, that he's limited, which he was, he was good, but limited. And then the other guy is just on a, on a straight arrow up, upward. And it's the same thing here, as you said, you know, now the question is, what about Spencer Petrus's trajectory? Exactly. So maybe, maybe last year was a year where it just all happened so fast for him. He, you know, he really struggled to process it all. And fundamentally he was rough and, then this year, hey, you know, he's, he knows what he's looking for. He gets better at it. So what? That's a great – that's the best situation you can have. You have a guy who has already won and lost, and he knows what to do in situations. So, if, um, you know, maybe next time he doesn't throw three interceptions against Northwestern, <laughs> maybe they won't ask him to throw it 50 times at a one-point yes. game either. But, um, you know, which is, again, on Brian Ferentz. He always has one stink bomb every year. And that um, was uh, clearly it in 2020. Yeah. Michigan the year before. Yep. Wisconsin, Wisconsin in 2017. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, no, I – so I, I look at it as this is healthy and it, it's important because if you're Deuce Hogan and, and Alex Padilla and you walk in and you, you look and you know that Spencer Petras didn't play that well. And he played okay probably at times. But if you walk in and you're like, I have no opportunity to play here. He's only a junior and he's the guy unless he gets hurt. That's when you start to go, you know, maybe I need to go somewhere else. Yes. And, um, you know, if people think that we're making too much of this hierarchy and and how it goes, I mean, I I would say I feel pretty comfortable in saying that these three guys will not all finish their careers at Iowa. That's just the landscape of college football right now. This transfer portal, particularly at the quarterback position, how this shakes out this spring and summer, Scott, is going to have a, it's going to, have a huge impact on what this room looks like moving forward for sure i mean you you know you've got four scholarship quarterbacks one's from california one's from colorado one's from texas and one's from ohio coming in this this summer um they're not here because they love the hawks they didn't grow up an iowa fan they weren't they weren't they're not coming for made rights and lines 
and sweet corn festivals and, and the like, you know, they're here to play football and, and also go to the University of Iowa and have fun doing it. But and so, so if they're not playing football, the clock's ticking. You know, Padilla's a sophomore. Uh, Hogan's a redshirt freshman. So he's got, you know, if it is Petrus that wins it decisively, you, you know, you'd suggest that Padilla is probably the one that looks. But if it's not decisive, if you feel like you're better, and I mean, most competitors do, but if it does, even if it looks like, you know, I don't know if he's the best one and we've, you know, he's struggled a lot and they're just giving it to him then it's there's going to be some hard feelings. And it's incumbent on the coaching staff to be as transparent as possible and yeah. give these guys the best view of where they stand. Because yeah. if you don't, that can backfire on you. And you're, you're looking at a team that was 6-2, and two, and I'm not going to blame Petrus for this, but I'm, I will say that if they had better quarterback play and probably better coaching to help the quarterback, they win those first two games, and they're at least in Indianapolis against Ohio State. Yep. You know, and and I will say now Ohio State played Clemson as good of a game as I've ever seen. But the way they played Northwestern and the way Iowa was playing at that point in the year, I, I think Iowa might have interesting. Iowa might have had a trophy. Yeah, you know? for sure. Um, we got some Hawkeyes. How's this for a transition? We've got <laughs> some Hawkeyes going for the big trophy this Sunday, Scott. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Two former Hawkeyes are going to uh, going to uh, be able to raise the Lombardi Trophy uh, Sunday. We've got uh, Anthony Nelson, who we spoke about earlier, and Tristan Wirfs on the Tampa Bay side. And we've got Anthony Hitchens and Ben Neiman going for their second straight Super Bowl, back-to-back Super Bowls, which, as we know, is a rarity in this sport. So some cool things on the line for some former Hawkeyes. And all Hawkeye fans – you know, have have an investment in this game Sunday, whether or not you like the Chiefs or the or the Bucks. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what's awesome about this. I mean, I really like, I, I like all four of the players. I think they all have great stories yeah. and backgrounds and everything. And, and I think you look at, um, you know, Tristan Wirfs. I, I just I look at him as a big teddy bear. You know, just the kind of you know the the nicest kid who just happens to be you know, the biggest human <laughs> out there, you know, um, Anthony Nelson is, was a tremendous player. And, and I, you know, I, I could see him working for a bank, you know, as like an executive vice president, yep. handling your financial matters. And, um, you know, Anthony Hitchens, uh, you know, he's kind of the, he's kind of like Devin Hilson, you know, when he came in, you know, two-star guy, is he a safety? Is he a corner? Is he a running back? Or, I mean, a linebacker, is he a running back? And then all of a sudden he becomes, you know, an indispensable linebacker. And especially his, you know, his last game, his last snap at, at Kinnick Stadium, you know, he tackles Devin Gardner and strips him of the ball and recovers it on his senior day. And they beat Michigan. I mean, what a great game that was. And, and Ben Neiman, hey, you know, these, he's the only one that didn't get drafted. And he's one of their most important sub-package players and special teamers. So, uh, it's it's fun to watch those guys. I, I enjoy watching most Iowa players play in the NFL just to kind of see how they progress and grow. And I mean, they had at the end of the year, they they had 34 guys on NFL active rosters or IR and reserve. So, and they had three more that were on practice teams. It's just a really remarkable for a program like Iowa to be in that position. 
nine guys in the conference championship games. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that is remarkable. And you're, I mean, the stories that you talked about, you know, Ben Neiman was headed to Northern Illinois to play wide receiver with yeah. his dad on the staff before yeah. Iowa saw him in, at uh, camp said, yeah, this kid looks like he could be a decent linebacker. <laughs> you know, yeah. So trying to find the right place for him. Uh, Anthony Nelson, I remember going out and uh, I was working at uh, Scout, the uh, defunct Scout site yeah. at that time. I went out to Waukee High School to do a story on him and uh, just such a soft spoken. And I, and people may forget this, Iowa flipped him from Iowa State. He right. was Iowa State verbal commitment. So, yeah, all, like you said, Scott, all of these guys have really interesting stories and have worked really hard to get to where they are. None of these guys, Tristan included, um, you know, was given anything. They, they yeah. worked to get to get to this spot. Tristan Wirfs, the first tackle to, to start as a true freshman in the Ference era, probably any era for that matter. Um, just you know a, a machine i mean he's, he's allowed one sack all year on tom brady and that's as big a thing as anything when you have a 43 year old quarterback make sure he doesn't end up on his back and he's done a remarkable job there uh, you know anthony nelson had 23 and a half sacks at iowa he was he was special he was an elite pass rusher and if he would have had one more year i mean he left after his you know fourth year he still had one more year you know, he might have been a defensive player of the year type. And, and uh, he showed so. versatility switching, de- you know, defenses with the defense in Tampa. He's he's more kind of an outside linebacker uh, yeah. in that defense. So he showed the versatility to be able to do that. We talked about, uh, you know, Matt Nelson earlier. Yeah, right. Being able to go to offensive line after not even really pl- – not having played that in his life. Right, right. I remember talking to a few scouts about that um, back in, uh, you know, this was a few years ago when Matt came out and just, I would just shoot this bull and, and about, you know, they'd ask me about Iowa players. And I said, you know, Matt Nelson, I think he should be on the other side of the ball. And he's like, he's six, eight, you know, he's really smart. He's got that kind of athletic ability. And I think he probably be better there and they're like really and I'm like yeah and so then he started it seemed like from there on it was like oh he's gonna take pass sets and you know he ended up starting a, a game or two with Detroit and was active all year this year in his second year making that switch that's a that's another one of those great stories and then Parker Hesse getting called back to, you know he's playing tight end for the Tennessee Titans and he got called back to the practice team mid-year and and stuff so you know you can't just that is a that's not magic. You know, you've got to put yourself in that position and that's the program has helped do that. So uh, it's been really, it's been fun to watch. It's been fun to watch those guys. And, and uh, you know, a lot of them now are going to be free agents. Uh, You're going to see Desmond King. He's going to be a free agent. um, CJ Beathard, he's going to be a free agent. And and there should be a market for guys like, well, especially both of them, but you know, Beathard for sure, because there's going to be so much movement among quarterbacks, you know, who knows if your team's going to need one? Mine is. Yeah. Beathard would have been better than any bear that we had last year. I can tell you that. Yeah, that's a low bar. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's like that's like tripping on a step going down, <laughs> up a stair. But, but. Well, that's uh, I I can expe- speak from experience of watching the Jets through the years. It's a, the quarterback is a low bar. Yeah. <laughs> Bears have. Bears haven't had a great one since, you know, the 40s. 
Yeah. <laughs> but I could go on all day about that. And I think the Packers fans who are listening to this are laughing. <laughs> you know, and, and any Bears fans are going, yeah, I know. Let's move on. <laughs> all right, Scott. I think that'll probably do it. Um, we've hit on a lot of topics here. And like I said earlier in the podcast, we didn't get to any position real break, you know, specific breakdowns today. We did talk about some positions, though, on the periphery, and we'll talk more about those moving forward. Uh, we'll obviously continue to talk about basketball next week. NFL draft, you know, we didn't get to the Senior Bowl stuff this week, but we'll push that all, like, in a, a later podcast with NFL draft prep, um, you know, and we'll talk about uh, all of this stuff moving forward as spring football gets closer, too. And, We won't lack for discussion, right? Yeah, not at all. I mean, you can talk football every week and there's always something to talk about. And if there isn't, you can always kind of push it in a weird way, you know, like, hey, should Iowa play Iowa State or something (laughs) like that? And next thing you know, you're like, who should replace Kirk? And then there's your topic for the while. But no, yeah, we've got plenty to talk about. Basketball is going to command the most attention. And then, and we never really mentioned it, but, uh, you know, Tom Brands tested positive for COVID 19. And, and so he's out till at least the 13th of uh, February. So, And we'll talk more wrestling here, too, as, uh, you know, there's, there's the pocket after recruiting and maybe a little bit more less intensive football talk for till spring starts. We'll be able to weave wrestling in here a little bit more as it gets closer to the postseason. So, as we said, there's, uh, there's plenty to talk about, plenty to read. Get, check yeah. out. Get your athletic subscription and uh, check out everything that Scott's doing. And as we've talked about before, great benefit. You get all access to um, to all uh, the whole athletic network. And as I've said, I can wallow in my misery of being a Jets, Mets, Knicks fan. <laughs> I, I, You know, the first two, you might have some hope, you know. Yeah, we'll see. I'm not getting my hopes up. I think, yeah, you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah who am i kidding yeah well you know if, yeah, i tell you what if, if uh they pull the trigger and sean watson comes east and uh they trade darnold whether it's the houston or another team and you're gonna be like okay i think things are moving forward so i'm gonna i'm trying to to not think about it until or if it happens yeah. then i'll celebrate yeah <laughs> I know one team that won't get him, so <laughs> I'm not even worried about that one. <laughs> so, you, guys their, are, you guys are getting Aaron Rodgers. Oh, that would be great. Man. <laughs> that guy's caused more ulcers for Bears fans than any other quarterback ever. Uh, Brett, Brett Favre beat the Bears 11 straight years at Soldier Field, and but he never caused the kind of ulcers that uh, Rodgers has. He's just – it's third and six, and you think, all right, we got a chance here. No, forget it. There's an eight, 18 yard pass to a tight end that nobody ever heard of. You know, <laughs> you I know, have uh, I have three guys that traumatize me like that: Tom Brady, the most recent, yeah. Dan Marino, uh huh, and Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly, yeah, yeah. Those yeah. three in the AFC East, just a lot of a uh, lot of aggravation as as a Jets fan watching those three guys. Um, pick my squad apart. Kenny O'Brien was good for a little while there, but yeah. but he wasn't Kelly and he wasn't uh, uh, Marino, that's for sure. So, no. And they had the chance. You know, kind of like what I'm dealing with 
here. You know, the Jets had the chance to pick either one of them, just like the Bears had a chance when they traded up for the number two to pick either Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. But now let's go with Mitchell Trubisky. Sometimes it's uh, it's not smart to uh, overthink things. Yeah. You know, it's like <clears throat> there's a reason why Clemson was in the playoffs that year and there <laughs> Sean yeah. Watson was a big reason why. And he's a big reason why they won the, the, the tournament. So, yep. yeah, I think uh, that would have been the pick. But you know what? Let bygones be bygones. Brian Pace will be there till he retires. <laughs> Nowhere to go but up, Scott. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Not going to drag anybody down. <laughs> well, I, we appreciate all of you folks listening to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast. Scott and I will be back um, next Thursday. You want to say goodbye to everybody, Scott? Goodbye, everybody, Scott.